Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Tyler Johnson, and it is good to be with you this morning. We are about to continue our series in We Want a King. We're looking at the life of David in 1 Samuel. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Samuel 17. If you are kind of new to the Bible or you don't feel very experienced to it, um, I want to give you total permission at the front of almost every Bible you would pick up nowadays is a table of contents, and you can look at it and don't feel dumb about looking at it. It's a way you can learn what the Bible is, but 1 Samuel's at, in the Old Testament, so on the left side of your Bible. So 1 Samuel 17, the title of this chapter in my Bible says, David and Goliath. So I'm going to ask you guys to participate with me through a raising of hands. How many of you in here have heard of the story of David and Goliath? That's almost the entire room. Now, let me ask you the next question. Participate again and be honest. Don't feel dumb. How many of you actually know the details of the story told in 1 Samuel 17 of David and Goliath? How many of you know the details of the story? So, so some, but less. The reality of the story of David and Goliath is it's, um, in the midst of our culture, it really is like folklore. People use it all the time. I tried this last night. If you look on Google and you type in David and Goliath and you hit Google, enter. You know how Google at the top will have like all of these options. So it's like all news. So you can get the news about David and Goliath and you can get images about David and Goliath. So if you hit news, it'll bring up like political races. There's a David and Goliath race. It may bring up sports games. There's a David playing a Goliath. And all of what it is saying is that the David and Goliath story in our culture has taken on this idea of the underdog. The one who's not supposed to win, do they have an opportunity to win? It's an underdog story. But the details of 1 Samuel 13, where the actual idea and story of David and Goliath is told in the Bible, is actually an upper dog story, if you will. David has an incredible competitive advantage. He doesn't walk into the scene with Goliath as an underdog. He walks in with an incredible competitive advantage, and that competitive advantage is God. So there's a, a real paradigm shift when you begin to understand what is the story of David and Goliath? Is it of this really bad tough boy? Or is it of a really great God? So let's pray and we're going to get into this story. Father, I pray uh, this morning that you would make this passage that so many have heard intensely practical. I pray that you would make your presence real. I pray that you would make your power seen and experienced. So God, we open ourselves up to you and just ask you to speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So 1 Samuel 17 is long, so I'm going to tell you a lot of this story, and then we, as we get into the middle of it, we'll begin to put on the screen some of this passage. I really recommend if you have your Bible to open it or if you want to open an app and get there. But here's the scene. There's the Philistines and there's the nation of Israel, their armies. There's two 
huge hills that they're camping on. That's where they're staying. That's where they're living. That's where they're cooking their food. And then every morning they get up and get ready. They get a little food and then they go to the battle line like ancient warfare would be. And on one side of this valley, so there's these two kind of hills in this valley, they would go down and they would line up. So the nation of Israel on one side, the Philistines on the other side. Now the Philistines in verse four, they have this champion. And this champion's not just any champion. He is massive. When you actually take what the passage is saying, this guy's like 10 feet tall. He's wearing armor that they would say was just under 140 pounds. He had a spear that was way larger than everybody else's spear. So just imagine this. This guy's almost certainly yoked like crazy. I mean, he's got to be very strong to be carrying that much armor. He's got this huge spear, and he comes out, and what you have to see with Goliath is he is an intimidator. So he starts screaming at the nation of Israel, and he's like, I have an idea. Let's set up one-on-one. So this is like in the NBA when Somebody's going, Michael Jordan or LeBron, they pull to the right and all the team goes that way and the other team has to go with them to defend them. And it's like, let's just set up a one-on-one, you against me. So Goliath stands up and he's like, you send out your guy, I'm here. If you beat me, we all become your slaves. All of our women become your women. All of our stuff becomes your stuff. If you beat us. But if we beat you, if I beat you, the one you put out here, You become our slaves. All of your women become our women. All of your stuff becomes our stuff. On hearing the Philistines' word, verse 11 says, Saul, who's the leader of the Israelite army and the nation of Israel, Saul and all, not some, all of the Israelites are dismayed and terrified. Now, when you're engaging the Bible, it's easy to read it at a distance, especially when it's like ancient warfare. I'm not a soldier. I don't know about ancient warfare. Like, what is this story? It's hard to make it personal. Like, how does this apply to me? And I've wrestled with that the last couple of weeks. Like, how do you make David and Goliath actually apply to real people? Well, when you're reading the Bible, here's a little instruction, is when you begin to see the emotions of the passage, they're human emotions. You can relate to these. So when you look at two words like dismayed and terrified, stop and evaluate yourself. Have I been dismayed and terrified? Am I currently right now dismayed and terrified? Why are they dismayed and terrified? Because they're intimidated. I played college baseball at Arizona State, which I just have to say this is far better university and athletics than the University of Arizona, but that's for another day. When I was there, when I was there, we played at LSU, and LSU at that time, and now they're fastly becoming this again, they were incredible, and they had recently won all kinds of national championships. So they put up in right field this thing they called an intimidator, which is like the billboard of all billboards. And it's like national champions this year, this year, SEC conference champions this year, this year. So you roll in there and you're like, wow. Now ASU has won a lot of national titles, but it's like 1981, 1976. So it just feels more intimidating when you walk in like, dude, we're playing a really, really good program. 
That was athletic intimidation, but there's all kinds of things in our life that are our intimidators. Huge Goliath-sized barriers, Goliath-sized obstacles, Goliath-sized opposition, and they create in you and in me trepidation, fear, and they cause us to be dismayed and terrified. We can relate to what Saul and the nation of Israel experienced. So that's all happening, and then the passage takes this turn. It says, now David. Eugene Peterson um, does this paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and in his section, he says, enter David. Now, everything in our sense would be now the hero enters the story. This is the moment where the protagonist takes it on. But as the passage goes on, the, the hero who we think is this shepherd boy. He's this shepherd boy, and the scene gets set that he's the youngest son of this man named Jesse who had eight sons. This man's three oldest sons were with the nation of Israel's army under Saul, hearing all of this that's going on with Goliath. So the dad, like any good dad would, looks at his younger son. He goes, I'm going to give you some stuff. I'm going to give you some grain. I'm going to give you some bread. And then I'm going to give you like the best stuff we have, which are these cheeses. Take the best stuff to the leaders of the army. And you know he's setting it up so that you can get to the boys to find out what. Are they okay? Now, if you have family in the military, you know this feeling. If you had the ability to call them when they're in a seemingly dangerous situation. It's like, just tell me you're fine. Just tell me you're okay. When your family or your kids are in danger, it's like, just send me that text. Just snap me your picture. Your location's not showing up on my phone. Are you okay? That's what the dad's doing. So David's like, yep, I'll do it. He takes the stuff. He heads down. He gets there. He looks at the, the leader of the supplies. So there's a guy that oversees all the supplies. He's like, here's the grain. Here's the bread. Hey, get these cheeses to whoever it is. I'm going to go see my brother. So as he runs down to go to the front lines where the two armies are lined up, he's looking if his brothers are okay. And then he hears this loud, roaring voice of Goliath. Now, Goliath had been coming out every morning and every evening, the passage says, and he's screaming, I'm a Philistine. Send your guy, I'll send, I'll be here. If he beats us, that whole thing. He's doing it all the time. And he says explicitly, I'm here to defy the armies of Israel. So David hears this guy screaming, and David all of a sudden's like, what? Now, David is a shepherd boy. He's not a seasoned soldier. It's not like Goliath's 10 feet tall and David's 7'5". David's like me, <laughs> maybe more like Paul, right? Like even shorter. <laughs> but he's a kid. And it says Goliath's been doing this for 40 days, morning and evening. Because that's a long time. I mean, you would think at some point, like 21 days, the nation of Israel is like, eh. Nobody here's got the courage to go out and fight this guy. Let's leave. Like, I'm getting kind of hungry. I'd like to sleep in my own bed. 40 days. He shows up, and then he hears this, and when he does this, 
It says, verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, Goliath, they all fled from him in great fear. So it's the same thing after 40 days. They started dismayed and terrified. Now they're fleeing, stepping back, moving back in fear. Again, I'm going to offer this to you. What right now is standing in front of you and inducing terror and fear? Making you go back on your heels, making you step back, intimidating you. That's what they're experiencing. You've experienced things like this, maybe to lesser degrees, but you've experienced things like this. Now the Israelites are talking amongst each other as Goliath's coming out time and time again, and they're saying, verse 25, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy, they say the same thing, to defy Israel. The king, that's Saul, will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from paying taxes in Israel. That's a big thing, right? Like no taxes. How many people have taken him up on this offer after 40 days? Zero. Nobody. Because they're going, I won't have taxes when I'm dead anyways. (laughs) I won't get all this great stuff the king will give me because that guy's going to destroy me. Now, David asked the men standing near him, and I love this because it's just so real. He's like, what will the king give? Now, do you think up to that point, anybody in the army, when they were talking amongst themselves, like, hey, this guy's defying the armies of Israel. The king said he'd give all this great stuff and you wouldn't even have to pay taxes. How many people do you think went like, wait a minute, what's the deal again? The passage doesn't really tell us, but I'd submit to you, none. So for the first time, there's this little shepherd boy who comes on the scenes to check on his brothers. He hears this guy screaming. Then he hears the Israelite army talking about what their king will do if somebody goes and fights him and beats him. And he goes, what do I get? But then he moves on. He asks the men sitting near him, what will be done for this man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? He's defied the armies of Israel. But David's like, this is a disgrace. Now, what is it that makes a boy ask the question, actually even be contemplating going out to, fi- to fight this champion, to face this fear. And then what makes him go, this is a disgrace. He's disgracing the armies of Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, this pig-eating Gentile? Who is this guy? And everybody's like, starts, they gotta be starting to look like, who are, who are you? This dude's 10 foot tall. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now listen, this is what begins to get you what's giving David courage. This isn't like the short guy at the bar who's been drinking that wants to fight. <laughs> you know, the people are like, that's liquid courage. That's, this isn't liquid courage. This is something different. He says, who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is the differentiator in the story of why the David and Goliath story isn't about the underdog winning. This is about the power of the living God. Who are you going to defy the armies of the living God? Now, go back. Remember this. When Goliath stands up, he says, I'm defying the armies of Israel. The armies of Israel say themselves, he's defying the armies of Israel. The first time The idea of the power of God gets entered into this is when David's like, this is a disgrace. Who is this punk defying the armies of the living God? 
this is God courage. They repeated to him what they've been saying and they told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, people are starting to hear things and one of them is his brother. And his brother's like, you sick chump. What do you think you're doing coming out here in the midst of this? All, you've, all you're doing is you're showing up to watch a blood sport. That's it. You just want to see a fight happen. You're arrogant. You're proud. You're sick. You're despicable. What are you doing? His brother's angry. Now, imagine this. Anytime a human being responds like this, there's some anxiety. After 40 days of seeing the Philistine, he is, because it said all the armies of Israel were dismayed and terrified. So he's dismayed and terrified. It also says they all fled from him in great fear. So he's one of those. He's fled in fear. Now his little brother, the youngest brother, the punk, get away from us, David. Stop annoying us, David. Get out of here, David. That kid comes in and goes, who's this chump Goliath? Now he's like, who do you think you are? But at the other hand, he's got to be going, I never once asked what the king was going to give. I never once called this Philistine champion an uncircumcised Philistine. I never claimed he was disgracing the armies of the living God. There has to be some moment in like, what if, is my brother trying to show me up? Like, what is he doing? Now, David's response, I love. And he's like, listen, what have I done? Can I even talk? Now, different translations say, isn't it only a word? Didn't I only ask a question? Now, you got to go back. What did he say? Go back to what David said. What he said specifically is, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Remove the disgrace of Israel. So there's a motive in David, the disgrace of Israel because they're defying God. Now, this isn't just like, again, some young guy just sticking on his chest like, I'm going to act like I believe in God. You're going to see in a minute what's actually going on with David. But he's like, can I even speak? What's so interesting is a translation from decades and decades ago called the King James actually translate this, and it isn't the literal, but they're trying to get at a point, is that David actually says, now what have I done? Is there not a cause? What's the word he spoke? What would be the cause they're getting at? The glory of God. The power of God. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to stand up against all odds? To stand against what everybody else is doing? To go a different way of culture? Is there not a cause? He's standing for a cause because he has confidence. Now this word not only goes to his brother that he's angry. He turns around, somebody else is there with David had heard it. Now all of a sudden the king hears it, Saul. And the king's like, wait a minute, after 40 days, there's somebody actually saying they'd step up? Who is this? Now David walks up and Saul looks at him like, what? This is the guy asking questions about this? This is him? And here's what Saul says to him in verse 33. You aren't able, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only, you are only a young man. A 
And he's been a warrior since he was a youth. You weren't able to do this. You're only. Now, as we begin to peel off some things we can actually apply in this, here's the first thing that you have to understand. God chooses the unlikely constantly. God constantly chooses the unlikely. He couples himself, comes together with the unlikely. He comes together with the overlooked. He comes together with the under-resourced. He comes together with the small and the weak. He couples himself with that. Now, you know this. You've walked into a room before, and all of a sudden you see this woman, and you're like, wow, she is gorgeous. And then you turn a little to the left, and you're like, that guy? She coupled himself with him? Like, what in the world? What is this? And then you go, ah, he must be rich. (laughs) But if you hear he's not rich, you're like, what? He's under-resourced. He's not good-looking. He's very unlikely. God does that all the time. Read the Bible. I mean, it is all the time. The passage we were just in last week, for they were all going, oh, when you anoint a new king, they're going to be the tall, the big one, the good-looking one. No, no, no. Who, does he have another son? Yeah, it's that shepherd boy, David, out there. Small, unlikely in the statement. Man looks at the outward appearance. Human beings look at the outward appearance. God looks at something deeper. He looks at the heart. God couples himself with the unlikely. James 2, verse 5. James says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Has he not chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? The Apostle Paul picks this up in the book of 1 Corinthians as he's talking to the church and reminding them of how God works and who they are. And he says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Why? So that no one would boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, Christ Jesus has become for us, wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So what then? Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If you're going to boast, 
If you're going to talk smack, boast in God. So let me ask you this. Where do you, this is to you, where do you find your security? Like in the end, realistically, what is it deep down that makes you feel like, okay, I feel more comfortable there? When you start experiencing fear, terror, you're dismayed, where do you go? Another way to ask that question is what makes you insecure? What makes you feel like you're a bum? What makes you feel like the words of Saul? You're not able. You're only. Is it you're only poor? Like, is it what makes you feel insecure? Money? It's what makes you feel insecure, your past failures? Think about that. I mean, really, like when you experience it and you start breathing, is it lack of money, failure? Is it your appearance? Your resume or lack thereof, your resume? You hear the, you are only a high school dropout. You're only a divorcee. You're only a girl. God constantly uses the your onlys and shows the your onlys in him they're able. Constantly. So David says to Saul, Saul just said, but you're not able, you're only. And David says to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever watched, there's some scenes in movies or ever watched like come up upon like a bear, a lion. There's something going on in David that gets us underneath to realize this isn't just a human underdog. This dude has experience. He's experienced some stuff. That's what he goes to immediately. When Saul says to him, you're not able, you're only, David knows God uses your onlys of the world, the your onlys of the world, because of his real experience with God. God prepares us through experience with him. Hear that. God prepares us through our experience with him. Like, what is it, what David just said? David's tending sheep, right? That's his job. Now, there's these sheep out there and a lion, Okay, folks, a lion (laughs) comes out and grabs a sheep. Which of you in this room, because I'll tell you what I would do. I'd be like, have a good meal. (laughs) What on God's green earth made this kid think he could go try to take the lion from the mouth, the lion, the sheep from the mouth of a lion or the mouth of a bear? Like what was, is he just dumb? What is he doing? And then he says, the passage says, then he says, and when it turned on me, I grabbed it by its hair, I struck it and killed it. Like, what? You did what? Now, at that point, you're just like, dude, this little dude is bad. Like, he is bad. Are you serious? 
I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant, then he looks at Saul, your servant, has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. (laughs) This is what I feel like when my son Yale talks smack. Like, what? Like, you? Come on, dude. But there's a because. There's a because. He says, because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, look at what he says here. Who rescued him? His strength, his training in jujitsu. He didn't do any of that. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Folks, this isn't an underdog story. He has the upper hand. David has the competitive advantage because the competitive advantage in life is God. The God who spoke the world into existence and upholds it by the word of his power, God. God who rescued me. That makes me ask this question of like, what was David's life with God like? Now, if you know David, there's this book in the Bible that's like the prayer book. It's called the Psalms. And the vast majority of Psalms are written by David. But when he's older... But in many of these psalms, he writes these things with like real experience. Because if you look at how David pens the psalms, you go, this guy didn't just out of the blue start penning these things. He likely was writing some things as a kid. He's walking around as a shepherd boy and he's in a real interactive relationship with the God of the universe. And I'm certain his prayers just start really simple. Like, God, I'm scared to death. I'm supposed to tend these sheep and there's like lions and bears around And he has these moments with God, like, God, are you going to show up? What are you going to do? He pens a psalm in Psalm 34 that begins to say a little bit about what David's life with God was like and the conclusions he came to through his experience with God. And he says in verse 4 of Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me. What leads David to this point of just sounding like this UFC warrior of all warriors is a life with God. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So when David got scared, he didn't turn and scroll social media. He didn't get louder and try to act tough because he felt so insecure that he was small in stature and he was a young boy. He prayed, God, I'm scared. And God answered his prayers delivered him from all his fears. He then says in verse 6, he saved me out of all my troubles. And then he has this experience enough to go, in these moments of huge trouble, the angels, the angel armies of God encamp around those who fear God. God has a lot of resources at his fingertips to stand with us to stand behind us, to stand below us, to stand beside us. And he goes, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Then verse 10, I love this. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek God lack no good thing. How does he know the lions grow weak and tired? Maybe when they grow weak and tired and hungry, that was the moment they went out and he goes, God, that lion's hungry right now and it's going after the sheep. 
but I'm with you. And in you, I lack no good thing. And what was the first time when he went, I'm going after to save that sheep? Because my bet is there were moments where it's like, he went, be warm and well fed. I'm out of here. What was the final moment when he had the experience with God that made him go boom? And he went whack and he killed the lion. That had to be like exhilarating. And he got up like, and he's looking at himself, like his arms, like, is that me? And he was like, no, it's God. That was God. God rescued me out of all of my trouble. And then in that same psalm, he says, like, how do you, how do you get there? Right? Like, how did he get there? And he says, taste and see that God is good and blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. When you're scared, you don't bow up. You go to God. And then you begin to see in David what God is working through. God works through faith. Let me point this out again, and we pointed it out already, but faith is the portal and path to power. Faith is. Belief that God's there, belief that God is living, belief that God is who he says he is, that he rescues you out of trouble, and he helps you prevail. God works wonders through faith. God's work happens through faith, like being in shape happens through eating right and exercise. Okay, it's the portal. It's the way God works time and time again. How does salvation come to the people of God in the world? Through faith. What does faith come through? Hearing God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Remember what I said to you before. Goliath and Israel said, they're defying the armies of Israel. The only person that enters in and goes, no, this is about God, is David. Look again at verse 37, which we talked about. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion. Who will deliver? The Lord will deliver. That's faith. Verse 39, when Saul comes to him, he's like, okay, dude, may the Lord be with you. Go fight him. And then he's like, but you probably should have some armor on. And so now Saul's like, let me put on this armor. And David's walking around like, this feels terrible. I'm not wearing this. And here, what he says literally is like, it's not me. Now everybody would be like, but do you know where you're going? I mean, moms like suit up their kids and all this stuff. Like, you know, little kids getting in and seat belts and whatever and bulletproof vest and, you know, all of these kinds of things. And this, they're like, you, gotta, you can't go out and fight Goliath with nothing. And he's like, God works through the but your only people. I didn't have anything on me with the lion and the bear. I don't need this. That's faith in whom? God. Not faith ultimately in himself. David's confidence is in God. My favorite is now David goes out. <laughs> I love this. David goes out, Goliath's there, and Goliath's just frustrated. Like, seriously? This is what they sent. Like, you're a boy with sticks. Are you serious? And he starts trying to intimidate David. And here's David's response. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This is like the greatest smack talk maybe ever in the Bible. Like he's, 
Goliath saying it, and this little kid's like, here's the deal. Then he goes on. Watch what he says now. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a bad boy from Israel named David. That's not what he says. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. How in the world do they keep doing this? God. God saves. He just said, sword and spear don't save. The psalmist writes, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. So in our context and culture, some people are trusting in gold, some are trusting in guns, but we'll trust in God. Some are trusting in the next governor, some in the next president, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some are trusting in the next relationship or next job, the next raise or opportunity, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. When we face Goliath-sized barriers, Goliath-sized obstacles, Goliath-sized opposition, the only thing that destroys that is David-like faith. So here's the question. Where is your faith right now? In reality, right now, where is your faith? God uses the but only people, but you're only. God moves through our experience, and here's the truth in this room. Regardless of where you stand and the place you are in your faith, when was the last time you had an experience with God? I'm not asking you, have you ever? I know you have, because you live in a world that's full of God. The Apostle Paul says that. It's in God that we live and move and have our being. You're walking in him all the time. You've had an experience with God. What is that? Build off of that. God works through faith. Where are you in your faith? This isn't about super faith. Jesus says if you have faith, the itsy-bitsy, teeny size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. With man, that stuff's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Where are you at in your faith? Where do you go to deal with your fear? Here's the last thing. Here's the way the story ends. As David goes out, he gathers these five smooth stones, which in and of itself is like, really? Like a 10-foot guy that's wearing 140 pounds of stuff and he throws this rock, sinks into his head, and he dies. Goliath dies. You want to know what David does then? Walks over him, takes a sword, chops off his head. <laughs> exactly what he said he was going to do. Chops off his head. The Philistines see it. Now who flees in fear? The Philistines. The Philistines. So when David goes back to the camp of Israel... They're like, what did you kill him with? Well, I had five smooth stones. <laughs> what? Like, you are amazing. And David's like, God's amazing. What are they asking themselves? 
as we look, one of the big tendencies is to read the Old Testament through the read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Here's the last thing I want you to see about this whole story. God works through faith, but he prevails through love. The five smooth stones in a very real way you can look at in our life as love. God prevails through love in the face of mounting obstacles and mounting opposition. Trust love. God is love. Love's not God. Trust love the way in which we move this. What is your go-to in these troubled times, right? Like, think about this in sports. There's a quarterback who, when things get hard, there's a go-to receiver. In basketball, a good shooter has the go-to spot. In baseball, a pitcher has his go-to pitch. In music, at a concert, if it's not going well, the musician has a go-to song. What is the Christian's go-to? Love. What is it that the Bible says never fails? Love. What is it that the Bible says the greatest thing in the world? Love, both in 1 Corinthians 13. When Paul's speaking to the Galatians about should they do all these religious things? Should we get circumcised or should we not get circumcised? Galatians 5, 6. Here's what Paul says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts, that's pretty big, the only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. When the world was faced with the greatest obstacle of all, sin, what conquered sin? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When God wants to take you out of a place that's destroying you in sin, and he wants to turn you, what is it that leads you to that turn? The word is repentance. Paul says, isn't it God's kindness that leads you to repentance? So folks, we're facing obstacles, challenging bosses, incredible fear. The issue is we have to look at Jesus. If God is love, Jesus is the face of love. We have to slow down in the gospels and go, how did he relate to his opposers? How did he relate to challenging situations? When he was so scared that he was sweating blood, where did he go? If we're going to trust love, we have to look at Jesus. The next thing we have to do is we have to be real. Be you. Embrace the you are not ables. Embrace the but I am onlys. And look to God. Let him fuel you with faith that you can, through his Holy Spirit and power, actually love. Receive his love. Folks, if there's any word right now that I pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, pierces into your guts and soul right now, it's this. God loves you. In the midst of all the things that you think you're a you only, but I'm only a failure, but I'm only my appearance, but I'm only poor, but I'm only this, but I'm only a terrible dad, but I'm only a lousy wife, God loves you. God loves you. Trust his love and trust that our actions of love slay giants. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace to us. 
God, I thank you right now that you are the God of angel armies and you stand behind us. You stand below us. You stand on top of us and beside us. God, let us experience your love. Let us deeply, deeply encounter you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.